this is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken. And this is Crime and Stuff. And this is our 16th episode. Yay. I, I remember I said last episode, are we going to, like, say every Probably. episode? Probably. It seems like we, we do every time. I know. Because we're we so excited. I know. We are excited. Lots of exciting things. It's very exciting. And I just want to say we have, um we want to name our latest Patreon supporter, Karen. Thanks, from, Karen. And she's from Oklahoma. And she'll be getting some of our excellent merch yes. going on the mail shortly. Soon. Yeah. And we, she gets um, a tote bag. We have our Crime and Stuff tote bags. Yeah. We'll have stickers. pictures of our merch on there. Yeah. We'll get some stickers. Ma- I, mean, I, some I pictures. mean, I know it doesn't sound very exciting, but, you know. For us, it is. It is. For Karen, exciting. it will I think be. Karen will be very excited. <laughs> so she's our donor of the week oh. on Patreon. And if anybody else wants to be a donor of the week, they can go on Patreon and donate. And there's a link on our website. Yes. To Patreon. If they just go to our website. And also, you don't have to... Uh, Patreon donors... It's like a sustaining, a monthly, yeah. But there's also a button to donate if you just want to make a one-time donation. Yeah, like give us a buck or something. Yeah, so we can keep this thing going. Yeah. Not that we're going to stop it anyway. I know. But you can't really pay us to shut up. That's right. People well, have tried. it depends how... Well, well I, I, I probably would have my price, I would think. I might, but it'd be very, very difficult very for me to shut up. I know, me too. It and would be and I wouldn't be able to difficult. do it. It would have to be for a limited amount of time. Yes. <laughs> I don't even know. Maybe like 500 bucks a minute, I could shut up. <laughs> do you think I could do that? Um. Yeah, probably. 500 bucks a minute? I, yeah. I think I could. I don't know, though. For like maybe five minutes? <laughs> that would be... 2,500 <laughs> yeah, bucks. Thanks. Anyways. That, that ends the math portion of the program. Yeah, good. So you have the topic this week. I I'm do. very excited to yes. hear it. Today I am going to talk about two con men who called themselves Rockefeller. As opposed to the real Rockefeller. As opposed to, now, why, why Rockefeller over a number of other names? Why would that be so effective? That's a rhetorical question. Oh, I was about to answer. I know you were. I saw your <laughs> mouth about to open. For our listeners who might not know who the Rockefellers are, although they may have heard the name, and there might be some people who are not from the United States listening, there are, although it is a, probably a pretty well-known name worldwide. The family made its fortune in the late 19th and 20th century with Standard Oil, and they're also involved with Chase Manhattan Bank. They're probably one of the most powerful families in the United States and one of the most well-known. Did you say were or are? Uh, I think they still are. The name is still powerful, obviously. People know the name. True. Not only for their staggering wealth, which actually no one has ever really estimated, but they're pretty freaking They're wicked rich. But also they have donated millions and millions and millions and hundreds of millions of dollars to different things. Not that I'm kissing their ass or maybe they would donate to us <laughs> yeah. well we'll see how this episode goes the one thing about them though is the, the men always controlled the money the women members of the family never had control of money and stuff they had like allowances and stuff like that but they didn't have money not that i would turn my nose up at an allowance but several of <laughs> do you need to chew that <laughs> you. did you mute why did you say something i needed to respond to right after the piece of chocolate you didn't need to mouth. respond i was talking i wasn't asking you a question i know but that doesn't mean i don't have several rockefellers have served in public office most notably nelson Rockefeller, who among other political positions was governor of new york and vice president under president gerald ford 
After Spiro Agnew resigned. Yeah, because Spiro Agnew was a freaking... Uh, he was a dipshit. He was man. also a crook. And, and Nelson and Rockefeller was was governor of New York during Attica. And Attica. and he was governor yeah. of New York when Mad Men was on. Oh, that's right. And his wife's name was Happy. Hmm, I don't think I like that name. I don't either. It's too it, much it's, pressure. I was just going to say a lot to live up to. Anyways, and Jay Rockefeller, until like 2015, was U.S. Senator from West Virginia. In short, they're a very well-known American family, and it's a well-known name. And it's not really a common name, so if you say Rockefeller, people assume you're part of that family. Do you know what the ethnic origin of the name is? I don't know. I was going to look that up, and then I lost interest because it wasn't really about them. But do you know? No, I don't. But I'm always curious about that because They're waspy, though. They're I thought like, maybe they were like Scottish or it, origin or something. I'm always just curious. I know, no, it is. A, I don't know. I know that they're Protestant, white. Yeah, you know. something to find out. Um, so you can see why a grifter would use this name if they were trying to gain confidence of Mark Press people. So the two men I'm going to talk about, and their real names are Christian Gerhard Schreider and Christoph Rokencourt. I can't really pronounce Rokencourt. Rokencourt. Is, it's spelled Rokencourt. So I can pronounce it like a stupid American and say Rokencourt. The French I saw, I'll talk about this later, but the more recent things I saw on him were all on French television and people were speaking French. Oh, so you got a chance to use your French and yeah. your knowledge of the language. Which is very minimal to nothing. When I go through this, I'm going to either call Gerhard Schreider Clark or his last name. And Rokencourt, I usually use his last name because they both have similar names, a Christian and Christoph, and they both use many different names. So. That's weird how they have such similar names. Yes, it is. The way When I started writing this, the way I decided to do it was kind of do their lives parallel because they're only six years apart and they were actually doing their thing kind of around the same time. And I thought it would be interesting to compare and contrast, as they used to say. As we used to say it for English composition papers. And they were in operation around the same time, but even though they were both kind of in New York City at the same time, I don't think they had any mutual acquaintances. Even though they were both going by Rockefeller, you think at least one kind of rich person would say, hey, are you related to that French guy? I know, especially if they're all hanging around. There's that weirdo guy in Manhattan. Especially if they're all hanging around with the rich people crowd. But he didn't hang around. Gerhard Schreider didn't hang around the Hamptons that much. He was more in Manhattan and stuff. Okay. And, and so maybe that's why. I don't know. And Rokencourt wasn't really there a long time. He was only there a few months. So I'm going to start with Christian Gerhard Schreider because he was the older one. He was born in February 1961. According to his parents, he said he was born in 1960. I don't know why unless he was in Siegsdorf, Bavaria, Germany. His parents are Simon, a house painter and an amateur artist, and Ermgard, a seamstress. He was an odd child, according <laughs> to some people, and did not have many friends. It's kind of nerdy, probably, and yeah. I think he was awkward. That's always and sad. And I honestly, the, I'll talk about this a little later, but he definitely has issues. That's always sad when they don't have any friends, though. Well, that's why they end up making he, themselves into somebody else. Was, was he an only child? Actually, I think so. I don't remember mm-hmm. reading anything about siblings, so I don't know. All right. That's a good question. Thank you. Thank you for once again putting me on the spot and making me <laughs> look like a fucking idiot. I, it's the journalist in me asking my probing I know. Probing I, I don't think... I want to say no because... Say what you want to say. <laughs> <laughs> say what you mean to say. In the words of that stupid singer with I, the big head that dated Jennifer Aniston... John Mayer. Oh, God, I hate 
I know, I don't like, sorry. Sorry, oh, we're alienating our John Mayer family. Okay, so he was born in Germany in 61. In France, in July of 1967, Christophe Terry Rochencourt was born in the resort village of Honfleur, which is on the coast of Normandy. His father, Daniel, was a house painter, just like... Mm. The other guy's father yes, was a husband. Yes, weird. weird and his mother, according to a lot of things I read, which may have all been like from the same source, was a 17-year-old prostitute, which I say this in quotes. I did air quotes. You did air quotes, yeah. Because I don't know if it's really true or if it's just something. You know how people say yes. stuff about people like choose a prostitute? Who the hell knows? Who the hell She's really 17, knows? and supposedly her sister was too. Maybe they were just super poor and were doing what they had to do to survive. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's, that's a label then. Yeah, I, it's so, yeah. very, I don't I don't like it because yeah. I don't, unless she worked in a brothel, I, even then. Even then, I, you know. Whatever. I mean, she was 17 years old. What the mm-hmm. hell? She had a younger sister, who's, or a sister, I don't know if younger or older, who was supposedly also a prostitute. Aren't we all prostitutes in, in one, one way, way or, or another? another? Yes. A younger sister was born when Rokencourt was a baby, and then another baby sister was born when he was about two who died. At this point, his father left for Belgium saying that Annick, the mom, was cheating on him. But if she was still working as a sex worker, I don't know if that's cheating or... Yeah, does it count? I don't know. She's bringing in money. No shit. So she ended up leaving the boy and his sister with her parents, who also lived in poverty. So when he was five, his dad returned and took up with Annick's sister, Christopher's aunt. She soon left, and then his next girlfriend did not like the kids, so he put them in an orphanage in 1976. Nice when, dad. When Rogan Court year. was nine years old. I know, and this was in the this was in 1976. It wasn't like it was in 1876, dickhead. Uh, he was like, father, he didn't care. Sorry, dads, I know that's not true. But our know. one male listener is going Yeah, oh, did I tell you about the male listener that said he could only listen to us for like five minutes? Fuck him. Because we never get to the point. He How did he know if he only listened for five minutes? <laughs> I don't need to know what you got at the grocery store, whatever you were have talking about. Have we ever about. talked about what we got know. at the grocery store? I was trying store. to think about what we episode he must have been talking about. I know. I'm trying to think. Whatever. Anyways, he can go fuck I himself. digress. So his dad put him in an orphanage in 1976 when he was nine. He was a bright boy, but... He got in a lot of trouble, vandalism, stealing, and stuff, you know, that kids do. And But he was always able to talk himself out of trouble. A lot of times he was just smart, and he was charming, and he still is if you see him Sounds on Sounds a little sociopathic. Stuff. He probably was, but I think some of it might have been a lot of kids have childhoods like that. It's a way to survive. True. Meanwhile, Gerhardt's writer had decided to go to the United States. Sometime in the mid-70s, he had made the acquaintance of an American couple on the train in Germany. And they said, if you're ever in America, look us up. <laughs> so he did. <laughs> in fact, he used their names in order to enter the U.S., saying they had invited him to stay with them, which they didn't really. But maybe he took it that way. Yeah, you know? yeah. And then he showed up on their doorstep in Connecticut. Ha-ha, and they took him in. They took him in for a while, and when he outstayed his welcome, he put in an ad in the paper. This is in you know '78, so right. to, for lodging, and a family took him in. And then somehow he established himself as an exchange student at the high school, and he was like you know 17 or 18, so he was 
But I don't know how you do that without it being like through a agency. Well, he must have been. He was pretty man. Yeah, he was. He told classmates. And it was like a George on Seinfeld thing. You know, know, you just show up and everybody assumes, you know. Yeah, that could be. He told classmates he was the son of a wealthy industrialist back in Germany, and he grew his hair long. <laughs> There's a picture of him in high school. He has like long hair. Anyway, we all like, knew that guy. Tight. That, that, well, late 70s. That would have been when like I was, that. he and I yeah. were the same age, so that would have been when I you was in still high school. Are, I was just going to oh. say, like, look at my high school yearbook, yeah, you know. know, the guys with the hair parted in the yeah. middle, Long, that shoulder yeah, like there. Gerhardt's writer loved the show Gilligan's Island, which who we didn't? all, I know, I wrote that, didn't we all? Some who knew him speculated his manner of speaking was from mimicking Thurston Howell III, mm. the rich old money character played by Jim Backus. Oh, interesting. And seeing him in interviews, I get that. Does he talk like Thurston Howell? Kind of a little bit but you can make fun of it but it worked because later as he grew as he went through life people often commented that he seemed like old money by the way he dressed and the way he talked and all us like lower middle class folks assume rich people talk like that but the rich people i mean that's who he fooled he fooled all the blue bloods and a lot of them do talk like that look at like um what's his name that used to be on tv all the time oh can't i think of his name william f buckley yeah, like yeah, someone he had like that him. weird affected accent. I mean, and nobody said, ugh, because they said, he wow, he's like rich. That? Yeah. Anyway. In a 48 Hours interview, he claims he liked the show because the seven characters represented the seven deadly sins. Gilligan was sloth, Skipper was anger, Professor was pride, Marianne envy, Ginger lust, Mrs. Howell gluttony, and Thurston Howell greed. Can I just say... That I don't think the creators of Gilligan's Island gave it. Well, that I thought. called. I said I called bullshit. I yeah. said he just liked it and aspired to be like Thurston Howell. Well, I think he was just after the fact interpreting it because what's her face? Erin Moriarty is that the name of the blonde? Yes. lady. She, sorry, Erin. I know you're a fan. Yes. Although we she did trash asked her him about list. Gilligan's Island. It's come up in almost everything I've read. So well, something. you know, maybe watching it. But I think as a kid, you he probably watched. I think a lot of kids, even us, we were growing up. And watched a lot of Gilligan's Island. Yes. But I would think kids from other countries, too, it would be kind of a... If they wonder what America's like, you know, they probably get weird ideas about what America's like from television. So it was in high school that he started calling himself Christopher Gerhardt's writer, as Gerhardt's was the middle name writer, the last name. About the same time in 1979, back in France, 12-year-old Roquencourt was adopted by a family with a strict father from a military background who thought he could whip the boy into shape. Uh-oh, that never turns out good, at least on our podcast. Roquencourt was miserable and tried to run away several times. Finally, in 1985, when he was 18, he left for good and went to Paris. While Roquencourt was still living out his teen angst years in France, Gerhardt's writer enrolled in the University of Wisconsin in 1980. At this time, he changed his name, again, to Chris Kenneth Gerhardt. In 1981, he married a girl he didn't know very well in order to get a green card. Mm. And she didn't file for divorce till 1992, which was weird. And then there was some weird story, and I think they mentioned it on My Favorite Murder when they talked about this, too, that... He told her he had to go to Russia to fight the Cold War, and she believed that it was like so. Really she wasn't a the war. valedictorian of her class. <laughs> well, or you know, maybe she was waiting for him to come back till 1992. He left for LA soon after the marriage. One place said a day after the marriage, but I don't think that's true. No. Because I read a Vanity Fair article, which I think is a little more accurate, that said. 
he just stopped going to class soon after that, and then a couple months later, he moved to L.A. He landed in the upscale suburb of L.A. called San Marino, which mm. is outside of L.A. It's got a lot of rich. It's almost like Greenwich, Connecticut type of place Whoa. in California. And I think he did that on purpose because he had a plan to get kind of in with the Richie people. You'll see the difference between he and the other fake Rockefeller about mm-hmm. the type of people he so, targeted. So what he was already kind of planning to, I think he was. to be you know, fraudulent? I don't think he was planning to be fraudulent. I don't think he sees it that way. I think he sees it as a way to make a life for himself or to remake himself. I don't think he he, he knows who he is. Right, he's searching for an yeah. identity. So he changed his name to Christopher Chichester, a name he apparently borrowed from a teacher back in Connecticut. That's also a town in New Hampshire. Chichester? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Sounds like that type of a town. Yeah. He hung out at social clubs and went to churches frequented by the Richies, ingratiating himself with, most especially the old lady types. Ah, yeah. They love guys like Easy him. Easy mark. He did a lot of volunteer work, which I was thinking is actually a good way to get in with those type of it people. Is. I, you don't think about it, but it's not like he had any money. He must. He didn't seem to ever have a real job his whole life. I think he just like sponged off people. and I That was his find. job. And he told everyone he was related to Lord Mountbatten, and apparently they believed him. Yeah. Well, what's not to believe when you're over here and all the lords and ladies are over there? And he know? also had that, I think he already was the Thurston Howell talking type of thing. He tried dating some of the daughters and granddaughters. The mothers would try to fix him up and the grandmothers. Huh. But at least one of them found him phony and creepy. Ah, there you go. Somebody has some sense. And he talked about himself all the time. And, like, he made up stories. And, you know, maybe the old ladies believed it, but I think the younger girls were just like, ugh. I know. You know, if he was if he was hot, maybe they would have been like, oh. Yeah, he was he's... dorky looking. He would have been, what, in his mid-20s? No, or? early 20s. Early 20s. This was yeah. only, like, 81. Okay. And he was born in 61, so... Early 20s. Although he had that old way of acting. He's one of those people that's hard to tell his age because he acted... The Thurston Howell way of acting. He had an interview show on the Public Access Channel, which probably no one watched, but (laughs) uh, he interviewed prominent people in town, so that's another way to kind of get in with people. Right. Maybe we should have more people on our podcast. Prominent Prominent people. people. Yeah. Local Access TV is kind of the podcasting of the 80s when you think about it. It was. It really was. At the same time, he was hanging out at the film school at USC which was about nine or ten miles away from San Marino. He acted like he was a graduate student and a teaching assistant and said he was working towards an MFA, Master of Fine Arts, for those of you who don't know. It. I was going to say, motherfucking. <laughs> what? I don't know. He seemed to know everyone and hobnobbed and partied with all the cool people, and no one doubted he was a student, which, when you think about it, I mean, like, when I was in school, there were people I saw all the time. I wasn't in any classes with them. And that's a them, big university. You would just assume that they're no, hanging and, around. And that's a big university. Yeah. He was living for free at Dee Dee Sohassen's house, guest house. And she's always described in everything I read as an alcoholic recluse. <laughs> and like there's an unsolved mysteries, which I looked for and couldn't find. But the description I read when they do the reenactment is like she's like slurring in this <laughs> I pink car. <laughs> I don't know how he met her, but she had this guest house. It wasn't legal to rent out, but he didn't pay rent, so he just lived there. About 1985, her son and his wife, John and Linda, moved in with her. And I think 
from what I've read in other places, in any of my, in any of the research I did this time, I didn't see it, but I know I've read it before that they had their eyes on the guest. They wanted to move into the Yeah, I, I remember reading that. Or he at least thought they did because he was kind of paranoid. Yeah. Maybe they didn't. But I can see, too. Mom, you know, we're here. Why, Why is that, that guy, guy living in the guest house when we could live yeah, there? Yeah, and he's not you even know? paying rent. Suddenly they disappeared one day. Mm. Dee Dee was told by, quote, unquote, a source that the couple had a top secret government job and went to Europe. See, top secret government job, going that, to Europe, those to me are always red flags. Too. No shit. A few months later, Chris Chichester. Because your dumbass son and his girlfriend are all of a sudden, after working at Burger King or whatever, No, he was like some secret. kind of computer thing. Oh, but okay. She, Never mind. She worked, yeah, but she worked in like a, was it a comic book store or something like that? She was As like, a cover for her top secret government staff. But a few months later, Chris Chichester, who turns out was the source... Was gone, mm. too. So mm. she called the FBI because she's like, this source told me, and now he's gone, too, and I haven't heard from them. And they the got, FBI, after they laughed their asses off at her. I wish I could see that on Cell Mysteries. That's all I've got to say because yeah. this whole thing was on it. The reenactment. <laughs> I hate reenactments, <laughs> but that's one I'd like to see. I know. Well, it depends on the, yeah. I hate them, and yet. And yet. Uh, they're entertaining. Did you say what the FBI's reaction to her call was? I don't think anyone Gave took her seriously no. because there were some postcards that came in Linda's handwriting, supposedly, from Europe. And then they tested the DNA years later, and it wasn't Gerhardt's writer's DNA on the, underneath the so stamp. So he probably mailed them to somebody. He had somebody mail and them. And had them mail yeah, them, put from, them in an envelope and mail yeah. them and say, hey, can you mail these back Probably the someone he met. So 1985 was when Christoph Rokencourt was making his mark in Paris as an 18-year-old. He started telling people he was a wealthy Russian nobleman, Prince de Galitzine. See, now why do they always like go for that kind of thing instead of he just grew up poor. he doesn't know saying? But like you can say you're rich without like embellishing. I know. I'm well, most saying. people didn't fall for it, and he was jailed five times between 1987 and 1992 for forgery, petty larceny, and counterfeiting. Meanwhile, Gerhardt's writer was back in Connecticut after leaving California. He was now Chris Crow. He told people he was a film producer back in L.A., even though he was super young still. Um, but he acted and seemed older with his fake accent and preppy clothes, so I guess people were just like, okay. Again, he hung around clubs, volunteered, went to church, etc., so he could hobnob with the blue bloods. I think it's easier to pick them out in a place like Connecticut than L.A., too. Yeah. Like, yeah. L.A., so I just pictured as so many people in all these neighborhoods that you can't even tell, but in Connecticut... Yeah, can, there's the rich neighborhood yes. and the rich towns and the poor yeah. neighborhood and the poor towns. And I know we have a lot of listeners in Connecticut. We actually do. We're not like putting Connecticut. down Connecticut, we're just they saying. No. He got a succession of jobs based on the perception that he was some rich kid. So I guess I was wrong. He did have jobs. But he kept getting fired for incompetence. <laughs> he didn't really do anything. He kind of just fucked around and talked about himself at work. And I've worked with that guy. <laughs> so he was not one of those smart imposters that can get away with things. Like that guy Leonardo DiCaprio played in that movie where he was a pilot and all that crap. Right. And there was a kid I saw in 2020 or something that pretended to be a doctor, even though he was only oh, like I know. 19. I know. <laughs> anyway. Doogie Hauser. He was driving around John Sohus's white pickup truck. In Connecticut. In Connecticut. In 1988, he tried to sell it to a minister. 
And there was something funky with the paperwork, and the cops started, like, sniffing around. Maybe the funkiness was the fact that he didn't own the car. Yeah, he probably had to have a title or something. And, right. And that maybe it was forged or something. I don't know. He took off before they could talk to him, and he ended up in Manhattan, always ending up on his feet. Meanwhile, in September 1991, three men broke into a woman's apartment in Geneva, Switzerland, and held her and her companion at gunpoint for hours. The next morning, they took her to the jewelry store where she worked and forced her to open the safe. They took off with $400,000 worth of jewelry. Swiss police suspected Rochencourt, so he fled to the U.S. And by the end of the year, he was living in L.A. among some other French expatriates. So now it's 1990-91. And while he was settling in L.A., Gerhardt Schreiter was a man about town in Manhattan. He got a purebred dog, a Gordon Setter mm. named Yates. I had to look up Gordon Setter to see what they look like. Yeah. Kind of like they, a look, look like. they look kind of like a Cocker Spaniel. Only or, bigger, right? They're bigger, and the ones I saw were black. They have like those markings where they're black, but then they have the little brown eyebrows. Oh, I bet they're really they're cute. cute. Yeah. So, yeah, but he had to get a purebred because that's what rich people right. do. And Nobody's he, going down to the pound to get the month no. of the week. He lived on East 57th Street, and he met a lot of people walking his dog. He would walk his dog around you and talk to rich people. a lot of people. I know, you do. As somebody who's fairly antisocial, when I got a dog, I met more I people. I know. Having a dog or like a baby, people talk to you all yeah. the time. He met a lot of people while he was walking his dog and talked about his art yeah, you used air quotes for art. I used the air quote voice. Did he do any art? No, the art he owned. Oh. Which, the art, his, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't finish my sentence. He sorry. talked about his art collection. Oh. Which was a lot of abstract impressionist stuff with Pollock, Mondrian, Rothko, etc. And he acted like he didn't know much about them and they were inherited, but never, he never came out and said anything specific. He just was like, oh, I got this artwork. I don't know anything. So, of course, people jumped to their own conclusions about it. And like, oh, like, because some Rockefeller lady had just died. So he had told his neighbor, oh, oh who was an art. That he inherited. Yes. Um, I inherited this from my aunt. She's like, oh, what's her face? just died. I bet it was from her. And no one ever, like, questioned oh. the veracity of it. This Was woman, he saying he was Rockefeller, or is this just kind of He was evolution? calling himself Clark Rockefeller at this time. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, did I not say that? You may have, and I might have missed it. No, I said I he was it. now Chris Crow, but I believe he was, yes, he was calling himself Clark Rockefeller. When he moved to Manhattan, I think, is when he started saying he was Clark Rockefeller. And this one woman lived next door to him, and she was like some something in the art, either a gallery owner or some kind of type of thing. And she went in his house and saw all this art, and she's like, oh, my God. She just assumed, because his name was Rockefeller, and he so made So he had the art? Yes, he had art, but it's forged. It's not oh, real art. Huh. Uh, no one no one ever questioned the veracity. Even later on, they never did. And then they realized it was forgery. I don't know where he got it or if he did the forgeries. He, he must have had also a talent for... Like a lot of con people do, of knowing who the kind of naive and easily manipulative people. I'm sure he did that, and he also would be subtle about things, so and he would come out. Yes, he'd let people jump to conclusions. Yes, just like people we know who who never give a straight answer or a definitive answer to anything, and then people assume it, you know they're getting an affirmative answer yeah. or negative. It's a it's a passive aggressive ploy that people use to manipulate people. Yeah. So, meanwhile, again, back in L.A., Rochencourt, he was using the names Christopher De Laurentiis, nephew of Dino. Oh. 
or Chris De La Renta, nephew of Oscar. If you don't know who those two are, Google. I would get so confused. Or well, his if relationships. If I were making up all these names, but he wasn't. His relationships were very quick with people. So no, I'm saying as the person, oh. as the con man, yeah. I would I would get confused and forget what I was calling myself. But I don't think he cared. Because yeah. I think for with him it was like I'm gonna call myself this for like the ten minutes to con this person I'm never oh, okay. seeing again. Gotcha. Or by his second wife's last name, Reyes. Her so he got married. Yes, I'll I'll get Sorry. it. Sorry, she's Pia Reyes, a former Playboy model. He married her in 1996. So because he was good looking, right? He was yes, better looking he's, than he's, the other he's, guy. Yeah, he's good looking, very charismatic. Mm-hmm. See, he's charming, and a lot of people like him. He's funny. Yeah, so he was. If you see him interviewed, he's got charisma, and he's also, he has that French accent. I think a lot of women are like, "Mm, he's not bad looking. You know, that kind of arrogance and cockiness when you have an accent that's not American, people are charmed by it instead of obnoxed by it. But that's how he's different than Clark Rockefeller because Clark Rockefeller was so, like, dorky. Yeah, I know. Although that was part of his charm. Yeah. Some people like So him. he was bold in his scams. He would just go for it. He would try to buy luxury cars or yachts or buildings, and if a deal fell through, he was just like, yeah, okay, and he'd walk away. He didn't give a shit. Oh. And he would, he was always, seems to be one step ahead of creditors, or he'd scam money, he'd borrow money from people, not pay them back. They'd skip out on hotel bills. But he would carry a lot of cash around, and, like, a lot of times he'd pay, like, the tab at the bar or he'd pay for a you know in a lot of cash so the people who he's with would have the perception that he had money and was generous and that gave them well you know why would he need to borrow money from me he you know he's obviously got money you know he's pretty smart his first wife is actress gry park i think it's gry g-r-y must be short for something how kind of a name is that i don't know they lived in beverly in the beverly hills hotel after they got married they probably skipped out on the bill he courted her for quite a while until she gave in, and they married in 1992. However, they had a tumultuous relationship, and she ended up leaving him while pregnant and turning him into the FBI. She called the FBI because she knew he was doing sketchy things. She wasn't sure what it was. Mm. And when she told them his name, they said that they were they must have had a lot of complaints. He was on the swindling radar. people, yeah. What name did she give them? Christopher Rokenclaw. Oh, his she, real name. Yeah, he didn't. He's not like Clark where he didn't take on the persona. He would lie about who he was. I'll talk about that later, the differences. He was extradited to Europe after they caught him. It took them a while to catch him, too. I don't know why. They sound like a bunch of idiots. He was extradited to Europe where he was charged with the Swiss jewelry theft that he had fled from. But those charges were dropped. He must not have been able to prove. And I don't know if it was him. They thought it was him, but... He never said And one you never way or the know other. why charges are dropped. You know? France did convict him on old swindling charges, and he spent a couple of years in prison there. When he got out, it was about 1995, he tried to rekindle his relationship with Park, but she told him to fuck off. Mm. And they have a daughter together. She gave birth after he went back to Europe and was in prison, but they don't print the daughter's name anywhere. It's not that I blame her. She's in her 20s now. In Manhattan, Gerhardt's writer was also getting married. He met Sandra Boss in 1995 through church. He went to the same church, and apparently her sister met him and said, oh, you should meet my sister. He had an eccentric, paranoid rich guy thing going on that kept people from asking him too many questions about his money because they made assumptions because he would make little offhand remarks, and he had that name. And people are uncomfortable about asking people about their money. Especially rich people. Especially rich people. Boss 
thought he was funny and quirky. He made her Aww, laugh. He's so quirky. They married in a Quaker church where I was reading apparently isn't as fussy about the paperwork as other churches. I don't know. I don't remember much about when I got married. It was not in church. No, it was. It was, a, it was a notary public and that we had to sign something, but I don't remember anything about it. She gave Clark the paperwork to file and he never filed it, so they were huh. never legally married. She didn't know that until, I think, until they broke up. They lived in New York and Nantucket. Sandra had great jobs in the financial field and supported them. She was very successful, apparently. Clark. Yeah, didn't she work on Wall Street? Yeah, she did all sorts of jobs. I don't understand those financial jobs. No, I don't either. But she had a bunch of different jobs. Yeah. And yeah, she did. She made tons of money. Clark supposedly, and this is what he told her, he worked for some kind of NGO. For NGO stands for non-government organization, I think, or, you know, non-profit things. They do charity work and shit in other countries. It didn't make any money, but he was such a good person that he <laughs> he did this charity She'd work. She'd make the money and he'd save their souls. Apparently. In 1994... Bones were found in a backyard in San Marino, California, when the new owners of Didi Sohus's former home wanted to put in a swimming pool. There was an unsolved mystery about it. I couldn't find it anywhere to watch it. I was very upset. What is it with these unsolved mysteries not being... Um, Some of them are. Maybe once they've been solved, they take them off the air. With Robert Stack. Yes. Despite a photo of a person of interest, Christopher Chichester, that featured prominently in the broadcast, no one came forward who recognized him in New York. I guess those rich people... They don't watch they don't Unsolved Mysteries. Or Gilligan's Island. Or they say, God, he looks kind of like Rockefeller, but it's a different name, and yeah, Rockefeller wouldn't not. do that. Yeah. yeah, he's a Rockefeller. A lot of Sandra Boss's friends were dubious about Clark and thought he was a blowhard and full <laughs> of shit. Yeah. But just as many people, or more, I think, were calm by the yeah. Rockefeller name. And the cachet that came with it. And I think a lot of the naysayers are just using hindsight. I think they just... Yep. If you met somebody and they're like, oh, my name is whatever, I don't think you would necessarily think, oh, that guy's lying about I who would. he is. Well, you, I would think he was full of shit about some of the things, but I don't know if I would jump to that conclusion. If you're only given certain information, like the people if that were friends with her, me, she believed him, right. your friends... If, if somebody told me, and I know I'm a cynical person, but if... Somebody, some guy I just met told me he was related to one of the richest, most famous families in the country. I would not believe But him. he did not tell people he was related to them. He let them come to that conclusion. Ah, but mm. also, but if your friend, if your friend said, hey, this is my new husband, his name's John Rockefeller, whatever, and didn't say anything else, you'd be like, oh, I wonder if he's... I mean... I'd ask. I'd say, oh, is he one of those Rockefellers? And she might say, yeah, if she thought he was. And so, I'd, like, look it up. But you you might. Some people did look it up, as you will find out. Because mm. some people are cynical like you. Yeah. And I would... I'm cynical. I mean, I, but I don't know if I would necessarily jump to that I'm not conclusion. Only cynical. I'd see that kind of full of shit. I know. I'm not only cynical... But you and I have both, we've had the experience, and we've seen it a million times on true crime TV, yes. where a guy says he has a top secret government job, oh, or he's with the CIA, I, if anyone told me that, or he's with the FBI, oh, or he's a baron from yeah, I know. some royal family in Europe, or he's a Rockefeller, or he's a Kennedy, or whatever, and... But we wouldn't, I mean, not to flatter ourselves. That's why we wouldn't be marks, because that kind of thing, first of all, doesn't matter to me, and I couldn't care less. That's true. So I wouldn't really be a mark for that type of, and also, 
just like many places I've worked, people have been fired for sexual harassment. And I'm always like, no one ever, even when I was younger no and better looking. No one ever harassed you sexually. And it, people are always like, that's because they knew better than to talk to you like that. Because it wouldn't have flown with me. And I wouldn't necessarily have turned somebody in, but I would have been like, shut, you well, know. Well, a lot of people looking for a mark, whether it's sexual yeah. harassment or to con people, can tell they who can the tell. easy marks are. They can tell. And he could tell. But also, if you see her, there's so many shows now devoted to him. And there was a TV movie I forgot about. I never, I didn't watch it. Eric McCormick from Will and Grace. Oh, yeah. I don't watch <laughs> I that I can't either. remember who played the wife. She, She's obviously a very smart woman, but I think in some ways she's naive or sheltered or something. Right. Um, or she was, and this is going to be so cliche, but just one of those sad, desperate women who just wanted a guy... Her Prince Charming the that we're all told yeah. is coming. I know, I know. No, I know. But I know. And so she fell for it because she wanted it so bad. Maybe. Even though he didn't look like Prince Charming and he was a little weird. Yeah. I'm just saying. So back to Rokencourt. He was working his way through L.A., scamming and hustling. He always had cash on him. Like I said, he would pay the tab uh, enough to make people think he was rich. In 1997, he was about to get arrested for a bunch of stuff because there were lots of complaints about him. Mm. And he suddenly left on a business trip yeah. to the Far East. While on that trip, he hooked up with this old guy named Don Miguel, who he introduced... Oh, I'm sorry. It was Don Miguel. I had a... Like Don Miguel. Yeah, Don, D-O-N. Miguel. Miguel. Yeah. He introduced to people as a mentor and an associate of his father, who he wasn't an associate of his father because his father died in 1991 and he never actually reconnected with his father, which right. was kind of sad because he wanted to, I guess. But anyway, that was a bunch of bullshit. He, I don't know who this guy was, just some guy. He, Another con man. People like him, they, they kind of like, yeah, hook up with people, whatever. Yep. He brought the old guy back to L.A. with him. And there had been a friend of Roken Court's, uh, a woman who uh, owned a, some kind of clothing store or something, who had been hounding him for 125000 that she had lent him, and he wasn't paying it back. Oh. And he kept putting her off, and he finally told her that Miguel would take care of it, so to contact him. <laughs> which, he could try to give her this bogus check, and she got mad yeah. and started yelling at him. The poor, it's like he was this old guy, Spanish guy or something. So Miguel gave her the bogus, bogus check. check? Yeah, he said, Christopher gave me this check to give her. And it was, like, signed by Steve Martin or something. And she's like, what the fuck is this? And he's like, I don't know. And so she called him. One time, and he said, look, if you come see me tomorrow, I'll explain everything to you. Or I'm, She called Rogan Court. No, she called Miguel. Don Miguel. Or he was, she says he was scared and upset and said he would explain things to her the next day. Well, she couldn't get a hold of him the next day, and he was dead in his hotel room. Mm. See, that's just like always on a TV show when someone says, come see me, and I'll tell you everything. And then they die. And then they what did he die of? Supposedly natural causes. Mm. She told the police she thought something was amiss and they should do an autopsy, but they never did. And his death uh. was never investigated. Uh. Mm. And she's still sure it's murder. I, I, I read am too. something recently. and Maybe, but maybe, I don't know. So during the winter of 1997 and 98, Rokencourt was palling around with people like Mickey Rourke. 
<laughs> he lived with for a while. Ah. And Jean Claude Van Damme. Ah, oh, jeez. Hey, back then he was kind of a uh, star. He's still a B list at the moment. I picture those guys as having a lot of just hangers on, parasitic yeah, hangers on. Because they're you know. idiots. Yeah. In 1998, he got into an altercation where he was shot at by, <laughs> he said, some Arab guys. <laughs> and he shot back. That was like a car chase thing where people were shooting at him supposedly wow. he shot back he wounded a bystander who was in a car around there when they were shooting he went to the police station to report the attack because he's all like oh someone's trying to shoot me and he was held for having an unlicensed gun mm. and then they discovered passport fraud so he was jailed he bailed himself out and headed east with his wife Pia, who is now his wife, the Playboy model. In 1998, also, they had a son whose name is Zeus. So in late 1999, he and Pia were in Manhattan, where he continued his scams, and he seduced a rich lady, supposedly, out of $350,000 in jewels and money. He seduced her and stole from her, but she didn't want to report it. I think she... The thing I read said she was extremely wealthy, and it wasn't worth it to her for the bad publicity, publicity. and the embarrassment. Yeah, embarrassment. Yeah. And I'm sure he got away with a lot of scams oh, I'm because sure he of did. embarrassment. Yeah. Well, that's one thing con men rely on. Yeah. He stiffed landlords and borrowed money, didn't repay the usual stuff. And also, about that time, is when Sandra started to get tired of Clark in 2000. She left him. And so they've been married for, what, about five years? Yes, five years. But he sweet-talked her, and they reconciled for a while. Oh, that charmer. During which time he knocked her up. Yep. Around this time, he decided he wanted to relocate to New Hampshire. I think because something who happened, <laughs> but something happened and he got into some kind of a fight or disagreement with somebody in their neighborhood. Maybe somebody was on to him, but he said he just wanted to change. He didn't want to live in Manhattan anymore. I remember reading an article once that explained why he chose New Hampshire, and I can't remember anymore what it was. Well, who wouldn't want to live in Cornish, New Hampshire, home of J.D. Salinger? J.D. Salinger. He threw around his name Maybe a lot. that's why he went there. Because, as always, the catcher in the ride, J.D. Salinger theme. That and also it could be that he uh, figured no one bugs him, maybe they won't bug me. Well, actually, people did bug him, but... He deserved But the people bugs. of Cornish, New Hampshire were Not very a pedophile, but he was a what, predator right, of young women. Name, Not just her. There were right. several of them. Yes, but the people of Cornish, New Hampshire were very protective of him yeah. and wouldn't tell people where he lived. Yeah. It was well, their thing. Well, Clark... Right, so maybe that's what Clark liked. They bought some big house for $750,000 that was the former home of somebody. Sorry, I can't remember. But anyways, he talked about himself as a Rockefeller all the time. Again, he didn't come out and say, I'm related. And he also rode around town on a Segway. Mm. (laughs) Like on Arrested Development. Actually, the Segway guy died. Dean Kamen? The guy that the guy that bought the Segway company died. He oh. fell off a Segway. Didn't, didn't don't you remember that? We have possibly. To that and, but I was actually thinking of Dean Kamen, the inventor of the Segway, who lives in Bedford, New Hampshire. It wasn't him that died, but someone that bought the company from him died yeah. falling off a Segway. That's right. A lot of people thought he was a phony, including there was a senator's wife or a state senator's wife that really thought he was a phony and apparently had it in for him. I don't think they thought he was a fake Rockefeller. I think they just thought he was a blowhard and annoying. That kind of stuff doesn't go over that big in New Hampshire. There were well-off people there too, but they just... He used Sandra's money to do a lot of stuff. He bought a church building. He kind of... There was a story about how the church building was 
somebody was going to do something to it, and he didn't want them to do it, so he offered to buy it for $1 and donate $140,000 to the police station that they were going to refurbish or something, and the town agreed to it. And He was just doing it to screw over some guy that wanted to buy the building and do something with it. He courted attention with his name, but when asked point blank if he was one of the Rockefellers, he would neither confirm or deny that was what he said. I'll neither confirm or deny. See that would see that to me would be more of a red flag yeah, than him too. admitting it. Or not. In March two thousand and one, his life changed forever when his daughter Ray Storrow Mills Rockefeller is born. Ah. She and he were constant companions in the New Hampshire home while his wife slaved away at her job earning the big bucks. The wife apparently did she commute to Boston. I think she commuted, but she was gone a lot on business all through yeah. their marriage. Because she was I can't gone think of anywhere, lot. whatever she was doing, I can't think of anywhere near Cornish. She New probably Hampshire. commuted, but where is Cornish in New Hampshire? It's in western New Hampshire on the Connecticut River. Oh, okay. So but she could have been going to. It's around, I want to say it's around like the Hanover area where Dartmouth is and where Dartmouth is Hitchcock Hospital yeah. is, which is why there's rich people who live there. She probably commuted, but because she was gone a lot on business, even before, all the time, all during their marriage, he had free reign a lot because she was just gone a lot. She was always working. Like ships passing in the night, Rokencourt moved out to the Hamptons in the summer of 1999, right, just as Clark and Sandra were moving out of New York. This, it's almost like tag Con man tag. Yes. Rockefeller tag. And this is when he started using the name Christopher Rockefeller in the summer of 1999. He made quite a splash. And while some people thought he was a fraud, a lot of people were charmed by the French Rockefeller. Huh. He made wild promises of great returns on investments, and people believed him. People were throwing money at him. I'm not even good with money. I know. But anyone... Me neither. Anyone who says I can do like a... 50% return in like two weeks is fucking lying. I know. Or they're doing something illegal. So this guy, Kevin McCrary, who was a friend of one of Rokencourt's victims, was very, very suspicious of him and almost like stalked him to find out where he was staying because Rokencourt kept saying he was staying at the, or Rockefeller, I'll say Rokencourt. He kept telling people he was staying at a house on whatever street it was that was like known for a lot of big houses and so this guy followed him and he wasn't he was staying at some bed and breakfast which he probably stiffed so this guy kevin mccrary he kept calling the police and saying my friend gave him some money he won't give it back and she's going to give him more money and i'm worried and blah 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 and the cops are like well he hasn't really done anything well then he like stiffed the bed and breakfast for like eight thousand dollars so then the cops were able to arrest him Ah. and mccrary this is a quote mccrary says i thought was kind of funny he says, quote, my family has known the Rockefellers for decades. Nelson, David, we've known them for years. If there's one thing I know, it's growing up around money. He didn't feel like money. Mm. Like he thought he was like really trashy and like. Right. He, he wasn't he, a he, rich. he didn't have good posture and he, he drove a Nissan, which, uh, or a, no, it was a Mazda, <laughs> which somebody, a Rockefeller, wouldn't drive and stuff mm. like that. And there aren't any French Rockefellers. He actually looked up on the internet, which most of the other people should have done. So with McCrary's help, the police arrested Rokencorp for theft of services. He gave them a false passport, paid his bail, and took off for Canada. So he just was bailed himself out again. And that was before you needed a passport, passport to get into Right Canada. before. There he was arrested for defrauding an elderly couple out of $100,000 while posing as a race car driver. Ah. 
He eventually ended up back in L.A. and was sentenced to five years in prison in 2002 for illegal firearms charges and bribing passport officials. While in prison, he wrote an autobiography, which I did not read, <laughs> entitled I, Christopher Rokencourt, Orphan, Playboy, Prisoner. It's so a long title. kind of tells the whole story. Yeah, in which he claimed to have made $40 million as a result of his exploit. His infamy seemed to help Did he self-publish that? I don't know. In 2007, when he was released from prison, he returned to France and took up with former Miss France and had a daughter with her. He started in a movie called Bad Love with model Naomi Campbell in 2009, but the movie was not released due to the filmmaker suing him for bilking her out of $700,000 (laughs) and taking advantage of her mental incapacity brought on by a cerebrovascular disease. He just can't help himself. He was convicted in France of abuse of weakness. There's a French name for it, but I'm not going to try to say that. Okay. And sentenced to prison in 2012. Oh, it's basically taking advantage of someone who's in problem. Yeah. He has since been released. And I did see him on a bunch of talk shows online, but since they were speaking French, (laughs) I didn't know what they were talking about. But he has been on TV recently, so he's okay. He was the host of a French National Geographic series about prisons. Uh, it was like a three-part oh, series. He just lands on his He was arrested in 2014, but I'm not sure what happened with that. He was bribing police and getting false passports and then selling the false passports. And I'm assuming whatever happened was settled because I saw a video of him from the fall of 2016. Again, he was speaking French, and he wasn't in a prison outfit, so I'm assuming he's out of prison. He's just being interviewed on some talk show. Some French, there's lots of French talk shows. There was one where he was on some panel discussion, and it was like at a table, kind of like a bunch of people, and like four people, and the woman who was host kept talking, and they were watching some cooking guy on this big TV, and he just has this like look on his face, like, Ugh. Or, like, why am I watching It this? reminds me of that time we were in Italy, yeah. watching that Italian game show, <laughs> and trying to figure out how they were playing it, and that was the same night that Amanda Knox yes. was arrested. Yes. Like, a week or so ago, there was one of those fake celebrity death things that was saying that he was dead like con man french con man dead huh but he isn't dead apparently where did you see the fake it was online Mm. you know how clickbait clickbait things yeah they're saying so-and-so's dead yes i don't know why they picked him maybe it looks to see who you have googled Uh, or something no 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 i was looking it up and it came up it wasn't it wasn't i was looking his name up and it came up oh that's interesting and the fact that it was False came up, so that's what I saw. But I think it probably depends on what country you're in. Like, it seems like he's fairly well known in France. So we're done pretty much with Rocancourt. He seems to be alive and well and doing okay. So back to Gerhardt's writer, Clark Rockefeller. In 2006, Sandra decided her daughter. It was time for her daughter to go to kindergarten, and she wanted her to go to a proper school. Clark, I think, wanted to homeschool her yeah, or something. New Hampshire didn't have kindergarten at the time. They didn't have kindergarten at kindergarten. all? No, some towns had it. And, you know, New Hampshire has a really bad school system because it doesn't have an income tax. But there was no public kindergarten. I remember when South Portland was arguing about full-day kindergarten. They had had half-day kindergarten. People were saying, people who didn't have kids were like, oh, the people with kids just want free daycare. Yeah, that's what I would have said. It's like so. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. What's your point? Of course yeah. we do. Anyways, a real school, preferably a fancy schmancy <laughs> private school, 
And so she bought a $2.7 million townhouse on Beacon Hill, which is in Boston, for those of you who don't know. That's the fancy part of Boston. And enrolled her at Southfield School for Girls, which shares a campus with Dexter School, which is where JFK went when he was a little boy. I was going to say it's Dexter, the school for serial killers. <laughs> yes. I never watched that <laughs> No, show. me neither. And Clark was a stay-at-home dad. Uh-huh. One article I read called him Mr. Mom, and I Fucking hate that. Yeah, so sorry. I mean, I find it insulting to men who who stay at home to take care of their kids. On behalf of men. Yes, we're sticking up for Mm -hmm. them this time. He told everyone that he had sold his jet propulsion business to Boeing for a billion dollars. Oh. And implied that his wife only made, well, he implied that they were living off his funds and his wife only made like three to four hundred thousand a year. Oh, say all. And that they lived on his money. Mm. Which is a bunch of bullshit. And I'm sure she made a hell of a lot more than three or four hundred thousand mm. a year. He said that he was going to donate a planetarium to the school. Nice. But he never got a chance the to. The one the little girl was going to in yes. Boston. Mm-hmm. Nice of him, isn't it? Yeah. He joined the exclusive Algonquin Club mm. and hung out at the local Starbucks with other Richie types. Who so they were, so they all moved to Boston. Yes, sorry, that's all right. Was that lost in the translation? Well, you said they bought a townhouse on Beacon Hill, yes. but didn't. Yeah. Yes, I'm sorry. They enrolled her yeah, at the school in Boston. So, yeah. yeah, okay. So they just left everything behind in Cornish. Apparently, I don't know if they. She must have sold it, but like he left the church, the house, whatever. It's just like. Now we're moving to Boston, bye. Yeah. So he hung out at the local Starbucks with the other guys, lawyers and finance types and architects. Sounds and like fun. He said stuff like, I just pushed an armoire up to the fifth floor of my house, which was a subtle way of letting everyone know he had a five-story house. Ah, yeah. Can you say that like Thurston Howell the third? Uh, lovey. <laughs> I can't do that. I know, it's funny though. Lovey, I just pushed a ball. <laughs> they all soon knew his last name, and his buddies at the Algonquin Club also knew it and got boners about it, I wrote. <laughs> I bet they did. Money, he was money, some, money. some kind of director there. I don't money. know. What, oh, yeah. One member said that after Clark was outed, you know, after all this came out, that people, some people were saying, oh, I always knew who was Oh, fake. sure they did. But he said he didn't see many people. He said everyone was fawning over him, and mm-hmm. they were all a quiver about the Rockefeller. We have a Rockefeller. Yeah. And he said they were always like, there were a couple different people they talked to that were members of the club that said people were always like, eh. Well, you know, the type of people who join clubs like that are going to be the type of people who get boners mm-hmm. over that kind yeah. of shit. And see, like, we don't give a shit. That's why we're bad marks. I know. We're I just know. like, oh, okay, you're Rockefeller, yeah. whatever. Whatever. Unlike his French counterpart, Clark rarely picked up the check. Mm. He was a tightwad mm. with his wife's money. But I actually don't think this would lead people to think he wasn't old A lot money, of rich people are like that. Because a lot of rich people are tightwadish. Yeah. I think it would make actually him more likely. Like if someone's throwing money around, you're kind of like, eh. Right. That's so new yeah, money. Yeah, he's so flashy. Yeah. He wormed his way into membership of the exclusive private library, the Boston Athenaeum. Athenium. Athenium. Is that how it's pronounced? How Athenium. Do, how do you spell it? No, A N T E N A E U M. You probably said it right. I don't know. So, uh, people, you can email us. Tell us how to pronounce that. Where he would read to the children on every Saturday morning. He would read to the children, Aww, and he used all different so voices. Sweet. He was he was apparently a very good reader, mm. and used all different types of accents and mm. stuff. 
Everybody from Gilligan's Island. <laughs> Skip around Bucky. down to Mary Ann. <laughs> I always think of that Gilligan where he says, I'm not going to dress yes! up like a girl. Just, and, you and you can't, can't make, make me. You can't, can't make me. You can't, can't make me. And then I, I show some dress up like yes! a girl. I know. I thought of that earlier, too. I always but, think of that. I know, me too. I don't know why. By all accounts, he was devoted to his daughter, who proved to be exceptionally bright and precocious. She mm. could supposedly read what she was to. Oh, just like yours. I know. Yeah, mine's smart, too. And she's not a freaking Rockefeller, a fake Rockefeller. Although he's obviously yeah. a smart person. He yeah, never, he, he didn't have a college degree, but he was very well read. He right. spent college a lot of mileage. his life of exclusive clubs and antique car collections was coming to an end. Sandra was apparently sick of him and started to be suspicious. Mm, started to be. She apparently was okay with him, but he was annoying to live with. Like, if he had been okay, like, if he had been a devoted husband, right. she probably would have stayed married to him forever and never checked him out. But he was, like, controlling and, like, mm-hmm. demanding and stuff. You know? What the fuck, buddy? You're um, getting a free ride. Just enjoy well, it. Well, he, you know, sometimes know. that's not enough. I know. She served him with divorce papers while she was away on a business trip. She moved into the Ritz. The Ritz-Carlton in Boston, Boston. for those of you who don't know. And he moved in with some European friends. So Ray, or they called her Snook. I wonder if she's still called Snook. She'd be, what, 20? Mm. No, she wouldn't be that old. She's 16 now. She went back and forth between her parents. He told everyone that Sandra had bled him dry of money. Mm. And he he told everyone she only wanted him for his name, the Mm. Rockefeller. That's why she married him, because she wanted his name and money. And the worst thing... Is he had to give up his beloved membership to the Algonquin Club. Oh, that's so sad. I seem to remember reading somewhere that she wasn't really that sold on the Rockefeller thing. No, she, she didn't rarely care. threw that name around. No, or... she did not. He said she did. She but didn't she even didn't. change her name, right? No, she did not. Yeah. And the daughter actually went by her name. Yeah. So she wouldn't have a stigma, according to Clark yeah. Rockefeller. But yeah. I think it was. Just, but I think I, it's because the wife figured, well, that's not his real last name anyway. So I don't. Some people say that she was on to him. Other people think that she was naive enough to think that. Yeah. To we'll not never know. Question it. Once the divorce got going, Sandra's dad. William Boss. I like the name Boss. I Bill Boss. Hired a private investigator. He and Sandra, I guess, both were worried that Clark was siphoning money from Sandra's accounts. Mm. They found many inconsistencies with his story, yeah. including the lie that he told that child actress Ann Carter was his mother. <laughs> I don't know who she was. And died in a car accident. I saw pictures of her, but I didn't recognize her. He had always claimed that he could never return to Connecticut because his parents died. (laughs) Ann Carter was very much alive and was not his mother. We know that was Ermgard was his mother's name. The revelations that came with her father's investigation led Sandra to hire her own investigator. Clark worried that all his secrets would come out, caved, and gave up everything, including custody of his daughter in exchange for an $800,000 settlement. I'd take it. A judge allowed Sandra to move to London with Snook. She was to see her father three times a year by supervised visits. Yes, but I think the loss of his daughter really devastated him. Even I though I know did. he's an asshole. No, I think he genuinely loved his daughter. She is the only person that probably truly was right. himself. Then, on July 27, 2008, during a court-supervised visit, he snatched Snook. A car, an SUV came along, and I wasn't able to determine, is it, was it a cab? Was it somebody he hired to pick him up? It came along, it was an SUV. 
He got in with her. He pushed the the social worker, whoever the court supervised person, aside, but that guy got dragged by the car. And I think it was a woman. Oh, maybe it was a woman. And he he took off to Baltimore. I thought it was a cab at first. I thought one thing Red said I was a cab, but then I was like, because he told the he driver. Hired, I think it was a hired car. Oh, it was probably a hired car because he told the driver, I have to get rid of this clingy friend of mine. I'm trying to get rid of him. That's why I thought it was a man. I thought somebody I, somewhere I read it was a man. Maybe he, it was a man, and I just assumed. I, I remember the stories at the time, the news stories. It doesn't matter. He took his daughter to Baltimore where he took on the name of Chip Smith. Smith. Going from one extreme to the other. Rockefeller to Smith. Oh, I get it. Well, he was trying not to. He was trying to blend. A real estate agent recognized his picture. It was on and all over the news because he kidnapped somebody. Mm. If he had probably murdered somebody, it wouldn't have been on the yeah, news that was a that was a huge story. It was story. a big story. He was arrested a month later when a real estate agent uh, saw his picture and called the FBI. And the FBI lured him out by telling him his boat was, water was going out to his boat. And they wanted to get him away from his daughter. I know. And that always confused me because I'm like, well, Why did he, he have a boat? boat? Yes, he did have a boat. Yeah, yes, okay. he had a catamaran. It was a, he told everyone it was a yacht, yeah. but it wasn't. <laughs> it was a catamaran. Poor guy. Yeah. He went on trial for parental kidnapping in Massachusetts. While the trial was going on, though, a grand jury met in California in 2009 to indict him for the murder of Jonathan Sohus. They couldn't, obviously, they couldn't prove that he had killed Linda Sohus because she never was found. She was the wife. Remember? Right. But they found exactly. Jonathan's bones. Yes, they found some of his clothes. They found bones. I'm assuming, I didn't read anywhere that they DNA tested them, but I'm assuming now, they how, were his clothes and bones. Now, how did they find out that he was Chichester or whoever? I know that in the, when they were investigating him, like either the, the private investigator or somebody during the divorce, Saw that and someone saw the uns- saw the unsolved mystery from 1995. Mm, yeah. It was, it and was and they a- might have uncovered the name Christopher Chichester, and then they found out that he was still at large, or they were looking for him. It was quite him. a tangled web. It was, and it was wove. because of him kidnapping his daughter that he got caught for the yeah. murder. I think. I, it was, yes. So the grand jury me- was meeting in California during this time, but the judge would not allow them to talk about the kidnapping case to the grand jury mm-hmm. because it would prejudice them, which yes. is, you know. There's, there are reasons for those rules. Um, he was convicted in 2009 in Massachusetts on the charges of kidnapping and assault with a dangerous weapon, which was from dragging the social worker. And then in April 2013, he was convicted of first-degree murder in L.A. and sentenced to 27 years to life with credit for one year that would start after his Massachusetts sentence ended. Wow. And he tried in the kidnapping case to use or they wanted to use an insanity defense but he had planned it so the fact that he was able to plan the kidnapping and everything he was not legally insane he obviously has mental problems but i think yes. we haven't talked to matt no. much about the legal but i think we'll, we will in a few weeks we'll have i think we discussed it with talking to him sometime in the future yeah about the difference between legal insanity and yeah. regular insanity and most we people are pretty nutty right know? and we should also talk to him about prejudicing juries cuz i know a lot of lay people think oh it's unfair they didn't get to hear about yeah. that or it's but you know juries have to convict and on you, the evidence yes of that of one that crime. crime. And yeah. I think Matt could talk yeah. about it more. So we'll have to list, make a list yes. of the things we need to talk to Matt. We about. do. Matt, Matt, we need Matt. We do. He was he's, tra- he's here <laughs> waiting tonight, but we had a different question for him. Yeah. He was transferred first to North Kern State Prison in California in September of 2013, then to Ironwood, which is a cool name, yeah. Ironwood State Prison in March 2014. 
His state appeals were denied in October 2015 and January 2016, which exhausted his state appeals. And the next step is federal appeals, which are pending. Um, This past December, he was transferred to San Quentin, and he will be eligible for parole in 2039. I don't believe he's seen his daughter at all. Since mm, that's kind of sad. There are some similarities between the two guys, but I think the differences are very interesting because I think Clark, I'll, I'll call him Clark. So in 2039, he'll be 78. He'll I be think. 78, that's right. And I only know that because he and I were born the same year, yes. so I know he'll how to do that. He'll be 78. He'll probably die in prison. Sorry, yeah, so Clark, he, if you're listening. Well, um, although they're, and uh, you know, the thing I found interesting between these two men is their motivations are a lot different. Clark, he seemed to have a. This is my Lucy Van Pelt five cent psychological. Okay, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. As long as I don't have to pay you the five cents, I like. Uh, he seems to have a pathological need to be somebody else. He he does not know who he really is. So Clark, to be somebody. Christoph, to be. To be somebody or to be somebody besides himself, when you say to be somebody else? Yeah, somebody besides himself. He doesn't like himself. He either doesn't like himself or he doesn't Doesn't know know. who he is. I wonder about him. I mean, I don't know. He, He made this whole big persona for himself, and he stuck to it like there was... Some interview with Soledad O'Brien where he was still trying to say he wasn't the German guy. And he remembers growing up in the United States and he has memories of doing this and that. It's just weird that he would stick to it. Rockencourt didn't pretend to be anybody else. Rockencourt was more of a con man. Yeah, and he's just like, I'm, yeah, he willingly admitted to being a con man. He said, if you want to call it that, it sounds kind of corny. He was kind of funny because he, even though... He is kind of a sociopath, but like I said, I think it's almost like it had... I think it was almost a product of his childhood. A lot of kids, I think, that have that kind of... No one cared about them most of their... Pretty much his whole childhood. He didn't have anyone who really cared about him. With him, I almost felt like it was like a fuck you to everybody. Yes, yes, yes. And And he actually says, you know, it's their own fault for being stupid and greedy. I think I must have seen him say that on a Um, TV show. He said said it a couple times. He said, you know... People get conned because they are greedy. I told them they could double their money in two weeks and they believed it. It's their own fault. In some ways, yeah, you can say you're right in a way. I mean, I feel bad. I feel bad for the victims. But at the same time, you know, I'm not saying that it wasn't wrong what he did because he screwed people over. And he doesn't have much remorse about it. But I also feel like he is, in a way, a sociopath. He doesn't have empathy because he no one. He just didn't learn. Yeah, empathy. I think you have to learn either learn empathy or you know you have the you have the capacity for empathy. But depending on your own experience and everything, well, yeah. If you grow up develops, with every, with nobody giving a shit about you from the time you right. were born, although we know people who people gave a great deal of shit for who don't have empathy. That's true. So and all, there's and there's probably people that no one gave a shit about that are empathetic. I understand that, but it, it's all but how you develop. When you it. have to survive, however yeah. you need to survive, you know. And you it probably is hard to have sympathy con. for people who get conned. In a well, lot of ways. because they were because he was so blatant about it, and they were sucked in so easily. Yeah. Sometimes you're just like, come on, people. He's French. He's chewing He's gum. French. <laughs> uh, you know, chewing gum with a freaking baseball hat on backwards, driving a a Mazda, like oh, I'm a Rockefeller, and you're like, oh, let me give you my money. Yeah. I mean, come on. For for Clark, let's go with I feel like he just he's still sticking to. I. He's a very sad. And he also says that Linda. Sohouse is the one that killed her husband. Mm. 
don't believe that. Because she's disappeared, so she must have done it. <clears throat> no, I don't believe that I think either. her I body think he is just it. somewhere they He borrowed a chainsaw it. from somebody. They, they dug that yard up right after they found John Soho's bones. And, and didn't they didn't find, find any. They found never found any trace but of But he her. obviously had somebody mail Maybe the postcards. Maybe she was in the back of the truck and he dumped her in the desert somewhere, somewhere. on his way east. Who but aside from the fact that he murdered probably two people, at least one, and I'm not making excuses for him for that, but I almost felt at the time this all came out, and tell me if you got this feeling reading your stuff, that people were like more offended by the fact that he fooled them and he passed himself off as a Rockefeller and all Oh, his, that guy that wrote the book. And all his duplicity. Blood will out or whatever. Right, and, and so people were more like pissed off by all his duplicity than the fact that he was a murderer. Like the fact that he tricked I know. them and tricked yeah. people and posed as a rich person. How dare he? And almost on that level, I almost have sympathy for him. Well, like, I, I mean, I don't because he murdered someone. I have, I guess my thing is, I kind of separate the crime from the person sometimes where when somebody's that fucked up, I don't know what it would be like to just be so unhappy with yourself or whatever your problem is. To not is. be able to be who you are. And then to live a lie your whole life and be constantly... Think of how stressful that must be. And w- was he ever really happy? I mean, yeah. I think the only time he was happy was with his, his daughter. daughter. And then look. I he, agree. He, he finally had someone who loved him for who he was. And he, even if he didn't know who he was, she saw him as her dad. And I bet he was more genuine with her than he ever was with anybody And I else. think his downfall came from his love. If he hadn't, he could have just moved on, just like yes. anything else. He would have gotten away with the murder. If he had just stuck to, okay, I'll see her three times a year, and he would have gotten away with murder. Uh, yep, but he couldn't. He, he couldn't. couldn't do that. He and couldn't let go. He was probably desperate. He was losing the one thing that meant something. And it's him. funny, because now he's in prison for pretty much the rest of his life. Yeah. But the French... Rockefeller man seems to be doing okay. Although he didn't kill anyone. He has his three kids. He's not in or the life. Or anyone. He's not in his daughter's life at all, from what I can see. The one that he had with that actress. He has his two sons. I'm assuming he might have some kind of relationship with them, but I don't think it's much because they're both in the United States, and he's in France doing his thing. In the stories I read, he had gone back to his hometown, and he his father's brothers. He like talks to them mm-hmm. and stuff. Whereas uh, Gerhardt's writer has never gone back to his fan. It's just strange. It is. But I think it says more about us, it our says society. about people that I think it says so easily. Right. And I think the, the fact that two guys pass themselves off with the name Rockefeller says more about our society and how gullible and also how willing to accept things like that and how hungry people are for status and wealth I know. than it says about those two guys. They both, on whatever level, had the instinct to pick a name that was going to draw people to Yes, them. yes. You know? And to, to allow people, uh, even though we pride ourselves in having, not having a class system like, like for instance, England. We long for one. We do. When somebody has a name, like Rockefeller, mm. Kennedy to a certain extent, but there's a lot of Kennedys that are the Kennedy right, family. Right, with all the Irish. But a name, I can't, that's why I was trying to think of another name that would have that kind of... Maybe Carnegie. Carnegie. At some Yeah, time. Vanderbilt. Yes. Where you're like... Anything with a Van or Von and yeah, people you're think like, a rich person. Oh, yeah. It's human nature to want to have a class system. It's human nature 
to yeah. want there to be elite people and to want to be among the elite people. Yeah. Look how the way we fawn all over the English royalty, I know. even though we fought a revolution to not be part of that shit. I know. Yeah. I, I know. know. I've gone on about that before. But it's kind of pathetic. Uh, Roken Court was like, people were trying to give him money all the time. Yeah. I mean, what the fuck? I wish people. I had that. <laughs> yeah, well, my, yeah, that's my name. I'm Rebecca Rockefeller. Yeah. We are related to the Rockefellers. <laughs> Maybe we should start using yeah, that right. name instead of her. But, yeah, so I thought that was interesting. I think it was good. Thank you. That was You're very... welcome. <laughs> okay, for our recommendations today, we were going to each talk about a movie that we... The movie we most recently talked about to other people. Okay. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Okay. So I have a six-year-old daughter, as mm. you know. Yes. So the movie What that... a coincidence. I have a six-year-old niece. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> the movie that I was just talking about and just have seen many times within the last 24 hours is Moana. So are is... you one of those parents who can never watch a, an adult movie? And by adult, I don't mean porn. Ooh. <laughs> oh, or I, I mean, all you ever watch is Disney shit, because I hear a lot of parents of young kids complain about that. I don't complain. I don't care. I watch whatever. Okay. I watch stuff on my iPad. That's, and and also, Hannah game. watches your stuff sometimes. Yeah, she's not supposed to. Well, well she anyway. likes that girl. Yeah. yeah but, so anyway, go on about the movie. I think some people don't like it because they think it's, can you give like a little synopsis of the plot? Because I'm oh. somebody without kids. The last time I watched a Disney movie was I think Lady and the Tramp when I was oh. five well, or something. So they really haven't changed that much. They all pretty much have the same plot of a young person has to do some kind of journey and has a little sidekick, usually an animal, and faces ad- adversity and has an adventure and. Triumphs in the Sounds end. Like Don Quixote, like or, everything. I mean, it's they're yeah. all they all have that. They yeah. all pretty much fucking have that thing. They've had a lot of criticisms. Something this is about a Hawaii. Based. It, it's based. It's like Polynesia, Hawaii. That you know, they're it's ancient times. I guess Disney. They're version. on an island. She is a young girl. She's drawn to the ocean, but they're not allowed to go past the reef, even though there's not a lot of fish. And she's like, why can't we go past the reef? And they said, because it's cursed. Because Maui, who's a demigod, cursed it somehow. Believe it or not, it was too complicated for me to follow. (laughs) I wasn't really paying much attention. (laughs) It has catchy songs, though. So she does. She goes out. She she finds Maui. Somehow, some crazy lady gives her some charm or something. I guess I need to watch it about five more times. Hannah could probably. Yeah, Hannah would would tell us all about it. It does have really good songs. Although some people said the songs rip off. Frozen songs. I wouldn't I know a really Frozen song if I sat on one. I liked Frozen, too. I'm pretty yeah. easygoing about these things. So she, you know, gets him to do whatever, remove the curse somehow, and then everyone's happy at the end. So but do there you are recommend? Yes, I do recommend it. The animation is incredibly beautiful. One thing about the animation I really like is the Maui guy who is voice. Is he big and burly? Because I seem very to remember big some and burly. commercial with toys from yes. that. Yes, yes. He's very big and burly and he, he's voiced by Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. The Rock. The animation's really cool because Maui has these tattoos all over him and they like move around and the part Ooh, of the animation maybe is... Maybe I will watch that. He's a cartoon. It's not actually the Dwayne. Animation can be very convincing. This okay. Maui is not sexy. Okay. 
He's got his eyes are too close together. He's just he's like James Farentino last week. Yeah, <laughs> it is like James Farentino. Mm-hmm. Sorry, James. He's and um, the girl that plays Moana is a native Hawaiian girl who's 14 or 15. I saw her on the Oscars singing. She looks a lot like the cartoon. Her name is Aluli. Alu- I don't know. It's A U L I I. I don't know how to pronounce it. Uli. I don't Aluli. know. So, know. have you heard any, like, criticisms about the depiction of the ethnicity? Yes, I think someone said it wasn't, it wasn't, they said Lilo and Stitch, which is another cartoon, was more, what's the word I want? Faithful? Uh, not faithful. Um, Representative? Yeah, no. Authentic, but I don't know. Lilo and Stitch was supposedly more authentic. Does that take place in Hawaii? I believe so. Okay. I never saw that. I started watching that and it was boring, so I stopped. <laughs> Hannah didn't seem to like it, so we didn't watch it. I don't think Disney has ever had a movie, and you can correct me because you know that's I really seen a authentic. Lot. That that's. <laughs> I think Frozen was very authentic to. <laughs> no, the... I was going to say that depicts ethnic heritage in an accurate, non probably caricaturish not. way. Probably not. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I can't think of one. So, but it, I thought it was. I enjoyed it. I've heard criticism that Dwayne Johnson is not a good singer, but I didn't mind his singing. I it. I have to say I wouldn't go to a Disney movie. I wouldn't watch a Disney movie expecting you know Pavarotti. The songs are very catchy. I have okay. to say. Okay. The one that he sings is kind of funny. That he says all like actually Hannah likes his song. She sings it, but he says all I can. All I can say, all, all, all I can say is you're welcome because, you know, you're welcome because I gave you all this stuff. It's basically kind of like I'm great, but it's kind of funny. It's not my recommendation for today, but you know what that makes me think of? South Pacific. I love South, Hannah loves that. She, we watch, we used to watch the clip. I'm going to watch that man right out of my I head. love that. She would watch the clip from the movie is over and over. Is that the one where they're wearing the coconut boobs? No, that's a different, they that's do that show song. with the coconut boobs. That's the one, 101 Pounds of Fun, That's My oh, yeah. Little Honey Bun. I think yeah, that's I the that one. Too. I used to sing that song when I gave her a bath when she was about two or three. Yeah. I showed her the song and there's a clip from the movie where it's a Deborah Carr I think in the so. movie is singing that, and she insisted on watching it I, over and over and over. I again. have to say, there are few songs from musicals as beautiful as Some Enchanted Evening with Rosano. I want to say Rosano Brazzi. Now, see, this wasn't my recommendation, so I didn't do any thinking on it. I love, there's that movie what, with, um, oh, where he, the pickles, Delahanty Street or whatever. Delancey, Crossing Delancey. Crossing Delancey, yeah. Where, there, there's just a scene, they're in a deli or something, and this woman, this, I guess, I want to say typical New York elderly crazy lady, but since I've never lived in New York City, I don't know if there's a typical one, walks into this crowded deli and sings that. And oh, it's just I never moment. saw that. Well, I always think of that, because I think that movie has so many, such a variety of really good songs, and also the commentary on racism from post, yes. it was post-World War II, yes. and a lot of people weren't saying the shit, it was saying, it's you know, that very, song, yes. you have to be carefully yes. taught. Yes, So I, that's a sub-recommendation. Oh, well, I, it's based on, isn't it based on James, James Mishner, Mishner Tales from the South? Which I never read. Yeah. I Sorry, did. James I, I used to be a... Did I he live in Maine, Mishner. James Mishner? He may have. Near the end of his Sooner life. or later, everybody's lived in Maine. You know what? We go on lots of tangents on this show. <laughs> we do. So that I guess that's my... To all the men who are listening, sorry. We're, sorry we're not getting to the point. 
But Which that is we the don't point. really have. We don't know it. what the point is. Mm-hmm. So that's my sub recommendation: is South Pacific. I love South Pacific, and I like Happy Talk. Is that happy? Uh, happy, happy? Although happy that's talk. kind of weird. No, the lady's see. trying to like foister. And there are, the and I do have to say that I think if I went back and that's watched it, there would be some. There's some disturbing things. There would be some disturbing things, and also she, you know, Rosanna Brasi has those native children, mm-hmm. and she has a lot of issues with that, although she learns at the end. But I think there was probably some really dated things in there. Mom, like, there was an update of it that had, oh, who was in the updated version? I think Mom has it on DVD. Oh, I remember that. And you know what? They didn't have the song. Was it You Have to Be Carefully Taught? There was some, I think there one was of some the big songs, songs they, they didn't, didn't have. have in it, and it bothered me quite a bit. Because remember when we were kids, we had all those records. Yes, of musicals, we had all those music. We used to act them out. Like the remember time. how we used to act out West Side yes, Story? Yes, yes. But that's not my recommendation. Okay. And I'll try to zip through mine real fast. Okay. So I had I had a get together that I have a couple times a year with a group of friends. We call ourselves the News Chicks. It's four of us who are all we all. We're in the news together. business and are yeah. women. We all work together at the New Hampshire Union Leader. We're all women in our fifties. And I will say we're a kick-ass bunch of news. Badass. But anyway, we were talking about a certain leader of this country (laughs) has accused... Obama? No, a more current one, has accused the press of making things up. And we were kind of talking about that. Which you guys do all the time. We do. But anyway, we were talking about that. I want to get to the point so that male listener, if he's still listening after an hour. (laughs) He didn't even listen anymore. And we were talking about, in fact, I should do a show about this, about reporters, famous and otherwise, who have made things up and gotten in trouble. I have to say, as a journalist, it would be one of the most humiliating things you could be accused of. Oh, I think it would be very humiliating. This, This woman at the Cape Cod Times who we were talking about, had been doing it for 30 years. Oh, my God. Remember, well, there was that big one from the Washington Post, Janet Cook. Janet Cook. And see, the thing, the fact that you re- people remember their, their names. names. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I asked Dad, because I, I blogged about it on Well, Glass? Stephen Glass. Oh, and that's Philip Glass is the composer. About. Oh, okay. But I was about to say before you stole my thunder. That, Sorry. That I had done a blog post about it for Maine Crime Writers, where I blog a couple times a month. And I asked Dad, who was a journalist for many years, if he ever knew a reporter who made things up. And he could name two guys. When he worked for the Dayton Journal-Herald, who didn't work for the Journal-Herald, they worked for the Dayton Daily News, and this was back in the 60s or 70s, and he remembered their names, and I, that tells you how rare it is. But anyway, yes. so we were talking about this, and none of the other girls had seen Shattered Glass. What? Which I own, and I've seen, I watched obsessively, I starring Peter Sarsgaard, yeah. who's no relation to Alexander Skarsgård. Yes, they're not um, related. But he's, he's an actor I like. Well, he's in the... Season three and four, The Killing, you know. Oh, well, maybe I'll have to watch it. Mm, yeah. You're not. Anyway. Anyway. And Hayden Christensen. Yeah, see, that's. Who I'm not a fan of, no. even though I've never seen the Star Wars or whatever the hell he's, he's in. He's a sucky actor. No he, offense, Hayden. In I know this you particular movie, he played Stephen Glass, and he did it to a smarmy. I know you're wrinkling your nose. Let me get through my recommendation. I'm and sorry. Then you can, I'm sorry. You can raise your objections. Okay. So Stephen Glass was this rising star at the New Republic. I think some yes. Or I was gonna say, not Atlantic Monthly, the I New think Republic. it was the I New get Republic. Those mixed up. All the other One of those liberal rags. Right. All the other reporters were always grousing, ah, why does he yeah, well, why does he always get these good stories, blah blah blah. And he it turns out, long story short, I know too late, that he was <laughs> making up his shit. But the way it's uncovered 
makes for a really good movie. Yes. And there's a lot of funny, if you're a journalist, there's a lot of little funny journalistic moments, like when they're talking to this other editor. Because the way it's uncovered is he does this computer hacking thing, and Forbes has just gone online, and the editor at Forbes Online says to his big reporter guy, played by Steve Zahn, who I love, why didn't you have this story? And Steve Zahn's like, yeah, why didn't I? And so he starts doing what a lot of reporters do when they get beat on a story, going through the other guy's story, finding the sources, and figuring out a way to do a new angle or a second day story, but he can't find any of these people. Mm -hmm. So the Forbes editor calls the uh, New Republic editor, and there's reporters on either side, and so, you know one of the guys says, okay, this is all off the record. And when he says that, everybody takes out a... Everybody takes out a notebook, and, you know, it's like, haha. But, you know, you do write down off-the-record yeah. stuff. You just don't use it in your... But it's a, it's a good movie about how something like that can happen and how people can buy into it and how even colleagues and bosses can buy into it because just like, you know, talk about con men, just like the Rockefeller guys... People want to believe stories. Yes. Everybody wants to believe a good story. If you write a good story. And people want to believe it. Like and Janet Cook, that's why people believe it. was such her. a horror. She made up a little boy for people who don't yeah. remember in the early 80s, the heroin addict, Jimmy, I think. Something like that. Like the eight-year-old heroin And it was addict. like, yeah, this heartbreaking story. And people were like, oh, my God. Yes. And like, people want to believe a good story. And so I, re I not only recommend watching that DVD, but I recommend after you watch it, especially if you're interested in journalism and the process, to listen to the commentary, um, which is Chuck Lane, who was the actual real editor of Stephen Glass, and then went on to work with Washington Post, and the director of the movie talking about it. And they talk about a lot of the journalistic stuff and also the filming. There's one scene where the Peter Sarsgaard editor guy is bringing Stephen Glass around to these locations yes, to prove that it's wrong, and it's a very tense scene. And it turns out the day they were filming it was the day that those two snipers, uh, Malvo and the other guy, were running around Washington. Oh, God, so it added like this that. extra stress to their God, film, or the day after. Scary. So I recommend that's a perspective on, on journalism and making things up. And if you're a Peter Sarsgaard fan, which, which I am, and Becky are. doesn't seem to be. He's okay. You he's kind of, I don't know. Yeah, you don't no like his kind of, uh, He's just kind of. He's kind of like, uh, yeah. He's, but he's good where he plays things. Like he's a that, good actor. Like in that show, I just, just slap. That no, show, he, he was yes. good in that because he played that kind of yes, wimpy. I don't yeah. like, yes, that's. Uh. Okay. You don't have to like him. Did no. you like that movie? Yes, I did like the movie. My my main my main criticism of the movie is the casting of the Glass character, Stephen Glass, by Christian whatever. Hayden Christensen. It should have been a, a little Jewish guy or something. Um, the guy because I saw an interview with the real guy who is kind of a yeah he's a I would have had like a young Dustin Hoffman. No, you know who would have actually done a good job if he I know he's always plays comedies. Is the actor Jonah Hill? Oh, he yes, he would have. He would have been job. good. He would have been good. The guy is kind of gives off this kind of gay vibe, although I don't think he's gay. But you know how some guys, yeah, you're he, not sure. Yes. And he's nebbishy and. Didn't and then there's that. also the um. This movie reminds me of the one of my favorite seasons of The Wire, where the yes, that the guy. Which that's another good. I highly line. recommend even more than Shattered Glass season five, my favorite season of The Wire. You know, we could do a whole show just about The Wire. And I, I know wire. everybody's seen The Wire yeah. now. But Season 5 is a journalist. We'll have season to do five, a, a Wire recommendation we should, show. You know, and we should do it season by season. Yeah. We've you know, got we to rewatch. I've already watched it. And spoiler alert, but the show came out 10 years ago. The reporter gets away with it and wins a Pulitzer. And the which editors. A lot of people, which a lot of people kind of missed. 
because it doesn't blast you with it, yeah. but it shows them at the end at Columbia University yeah. and some people Asshole. miss it. But you know, the, the higher-up editors, the smarmy They didn't want to know. Right, they didn't want to know. And the one I love... Clark Johnson. Clark Johnson, I who played him. Meldrick on Homicide yes. and plays Gus, the city editor on The Wire, the city editor we all wish we had had as reporters or other editors, actually, is the one who gives a shit, and, of course, he gets kicked in the ass for it. And There's some weird things about the plot in that season, some almost jump-the-shark type type things, and I feel like the journalism theme saves it. Yeah. And as we know, David Simon, creator of The Wire, was a reporter for the Baltimore Sun, so he knows it's the kind of thing when you're a journalist and you watch it, you don't say, ah, that wouldn't happen in a newspaper, that wouldn't happen in You say, wow, that... Would really happen. happen. Yeah. And his wife actually is Laura Lipman, who's a oh, good that's right. mystery writer. Yes, and I like who, her books. who has. They're a not as good as plot. the Bernie O'Day series, though. Thank written you by Maureen Relican. And I think that's a Amazon. Good, I think that's a good at time as any for us to. Have we gone on long enough about our grocery list and stuff? Well, why don't we just fucking do our grocery list to make that guy happy? He's not listening. He no, only listened to five minutes. I'd like to know who this but guy is. But he did give. You know what? If I knew who this guy is, I would go to his house and he would open the door and I would he just lives talk alone to him. In some apartment I would talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. No, he did give our name to somebody. Somebody who would listen to who us. Who is a woman about our age. Mm. So if you're listening, unknown woman, thank you. Thank for you. I hope you're listening. And you can rate and review us on iTunes. <laughs> yes. Or donate on Patreon. Go to our website. Our website also has all the different ways you can subscribe. It has a subscription page, so if you have an Android or want to subscribe to an RSS. Or you feed. can just listen to us on there. But And recommend us if you like us. Recommend us to somebody else. Please recommend us and please review us. Yes. Even if you want to tell us to shut the fuck up. Yeah. In the review, I don't care. You can also. But it would with be us. nice to have nice reviews. Our website is crimeandstuffonline.com. We're on Facebook. We're on Crime Facebook, and stuff. Twitter, and we have a Gmail account, crimeandstuff at gmail.com. You can email us. You can email and connect with Tweet us. Tweet to us. Follow us, us on Twitter. Send us questions for Matt or Nichols, for us. Or for Ask us. us what we got at the grocery store. Ask us what Cat we got. food. I'm I'm big on Gifford's chocolate ice cream. Oh right? my god, I love Gifford's chocolate ice cream, mm-hmm. but I eat like the whole thing. We do. Dad and I power through a couple gallons of that a week. So yeah. I think that's <laughs> that's probably it for the week. Thank you, everybody. And next time we'll be more. That's right. And I'm going to talk about the Martha Moxley murder. Oh, are you? Aha! You've committed to I've it. I've committed. Now. Oh, you can, I can edit, edit this out. out, can I? Yeah. Okay. okay thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye. Yeah. But anyways, for for Gerhardt's writer, Gerhardt's writer, Gerhardt's writer, Clark. For Clark.